It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. So, Governor, as I come visit you in Miami, how's Governor Jeb Bush doing? Fantastic. Life is really good. I got five grandkids, three granddaughters here, two grandsons, as you know, in Austin. My family's blessed. Uh, I'm, I'm madly in love with my wife still after 48 years of marriage. Life is good. I know even at any age when you lose a parent, and we lost, I lost my mom the same year you lost your mom and your dad, um, it's tough. Yeah. How do you deal with the holidays without them there? When you know, been- it's, it's almost every day I think about, I think about my mom and think about my dad. Just through some interaction, someone will bring up some right. story. My mom and dad touch so many people, you know, I constantly think about them a lot. And so most of the time it's with joy that I'm so blessed to be their son. Sometimes it can get a little sad, particularly around Christmas time. Right. And people think just because you're older, it shouldn't matter. That happens. But it's not the case. No, no, it didn't. But look, you, uh, what a blessing to be George and Barbara Bush's son. I mean, that was just talking about privilege, the term privilege. Right. I mean, when I woke up in Midland, Texas, 69 years ago and almost 70 years ago and there was Barbara Bush in the hospital bed next to me that was luck wow pure luck and instead of looking as as a burden to live up to never like that never I mean my dad when uh, I I was I was uh, struggled with it as a teenager probably you know the guy was like this hero like godlike figure in my life then I realized look I think if I when I, was, I had just gotten married when I was 21, and I figured if I could be half the man he is, I'll have lived a purposeful, successful life. So kind of the pressures of trying to yeah. reach um, the near perfection and, and that I saw through my, you know, that's, that I thought my dad was, um, that relief kind of made it easier for me to be an adult. Will you get together on holidays with your family? Um, my, my whole, my immediate family, yes. Um, the uh, George W. and the rest of the my siblings, we get together in, in typically in August. Wow. So this year, your dad lost elections, you've lost elections, uh, and now your son lost his first election. He wanted to be Attorney yeah. General of Texas. How did uh, George P. handle it, and He's, what was it like for you? Was it hard for you as a dad? You know, it's harder for the losses I've had um, were not as difficult for me as they, they were uh, for my parents and for your, your family. Your family cares more about that. You figure out how to get through it. Um, so George has handled it well. I was sad to, to see him lose because he's, he's, he was a really good public servant and he'll, he'll, he's a young guy. He'll have a chance to get back into it. Got it. Um, let's talk about what's happening in Florida and during the midterm elections. They expected what happened in Florida to be nationwide. Yeah. There was a red wave. Uh, governor wins a, a resounding re-election. Why did Republicans not experience that? They get the House by a slim margin and, and they lose a seat in the Senate. I don't know. I was surprised. Um, Thank God I'm not a political pundit because I would have been I would have been wrong. But you know as much as just about anybody. I, I just think that Florida uh, is unique in the sense that conservatives have governed effectively. They haven't cl- complained about how bad things are. They haven't said the Democrats are horrible. They've assumed the you know the responsibility of leadership and they've governed. And people get it. You know, you drive down our roads, they're crowded, but there's no potholes that you know break in your axle. Uh, so it's performance. 
it was a focus on education. Folk, our universities have gotten better. Uh, we have this commitment to the long-term things like building roads and protecting uh, water bodies in the state. And, and re led by Governor DeSantis, Republicans get credit for that leadership. It was a total wipeout. I mean, it, there hasn't been anything like this in a long while. Um, it was more than a red, it was a tidal wave. It was, you I, don't think, I don't think the Democrats won a single race that was contested. And you're, um, you're part of the Mutual Admiration Society with Governor Ron DeSantis. You're, you've been watching what he's doing as a two-term, very successful governor. Uh, and you, to say the least, are impressed? Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And I look, the, the time when it matters is the time of crisis. That's when particularly governors and mayors, I guess, to a certain extent, have to step up, put aside all of the hyper-partisanship that's kind of the norm in politics today, and serve and help people in their time of need. And he, he did that with uh, the crisis that we faced the with hurricane. Ian and, and uh, the, the most recent hurricane, the collapse at Surfside. Uh, he worked with local officials, put aside the partisan differences. That's what people want. And uh, he's delivered that. You think that he's got the momentum and is this the right time at 44 for him to run for higher office? Yeah. I think it is, um, but he'll have to make that decision. My dad asked, I, I, when I was running, I was thinking about running for Congress in the 1980s, and I, you know, I called my dad up and I gave him all the numbers and uh, kind of went through the precincts and said, you know, this is a, looks like this, I could win. And then he, he, asked, he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, what happens if you do win? And I said, what do you mean? Well, are you going to take care of your family? Are you, are you, um, you know, are you going to move to Washington? Where are your kids going to go to school? Is your wife going to be happy? And it took me like 20 seconds to say what a stupid idea it was <laughs> to run for office at that time. And I was about, you know, I was, I was probably 40. So uh, the first step for anybody to run for office, particularly one of that magnitude is, what happens if I win? And he has to answer that question. Only he and his family can answer that. He's got little kids. He's got little kids. Um, Wife coming thrust off in the, cancer. Th thrust into the limelight. It's it's uh, it's pretty ugly out there right now in politics. But if he gets if he can get comfortable with that, I think he would be a really excellent candidate. It's interesting, Senator Tom Cotton said, "I do have little kids, and I'm not running." Yeah, and I don't. I respect that. I think the the blind pursuit based on ambition. Um, there's no good outcome. You got to be totally comfortable. The first things come first, which is if you love your family you need to make sure that they're the first priority. And sometimes it's, it makes sense to do things and sometimes it doesn't. So uh, whatever his decision is, I think, I think he'll focus on that being the most important thing. What's interesting too is one of the issues that some say that they're her Republicans is they got what they wanted, Roe v. Wade overturned. And you're one of the most pro-life governors in the country yeah. when you serve. And Republicans couldn't message it, and it looked like you were anti. They messaged it effectively, Democrats, as if you're taking rights away from women. Marco Rubio said, I'm pro-life, but Florida isn't, so I'm going to let Florida make Florida's decisions. Is there a right way to message the pro-life movement yeah, well, in I, a country that isn't predominantly pro-life? Well, I think the wrong way to do it is the way Republicans did it, which was to ignore it. Um, I mean, the Democrat position, the, the official platform basically is, uh, is abortions up till, you know, up till uh, a child being born. And that is not, that's a radical position and that is not the mainstream position. 
there is some common ground that could be found. Florida's rules uh, law right now is 15 weeks. I would have advocated, and I hopefully the legislature will lessen that. But there's ways to message this by being on the playing field and advocating your position. But, what is a good What is a good way to say it? Well, it's to say, look, you, you know, I don't I don't believe that you, you should have partial birth abortion. I don't believe uh, I don't believe a teenager should have an abortion without their without notifying their parents unless there is a environment of abuse. I think there ought to be counseling for women that are confronted with this really extraordinarily difficult choice. Uh, they should be given options, uh, and I think you know they're, they're after a certain amount of time, um, you you can't terminate the life of a of a child. So you have to explain it, and you have to advocate it, and you have to do it with compassion and love. And um, exceptions. I I support rape, and you know I think that's another element. Um, you can get into, um, and there's a pretty good moral argument against that, but I think, you know, the practicality is that exceptions probably should be part of a middle ground kind of policy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Education. You watch Governor Youngkin really pull up one of the biggest upsets in Virginia, come out of nowhere mm-hmm. to beat Terry McAuliffe, who just wanted four more years and he thought he would just walk to it. And many people point to those, what happened in Virginia at that school board meetings, where people stood up and the parents were told to shut up. You, you live and breathe education in this country. So what do you think about where we're at now uh, and what should the position be? What's best for, uh, for students? Well, it's exciting that parents, because they were the teachers of their kids during COVID in many places where the schools were shut down and access to the internet was non-existent, they, they had to do become the, the teacher of their children. And the frustration they felt now can be mobilized to bring, bring about meaningful reform. And so uh, the foundation that I'm the chairman of works across the country in advocating parental choice where parents can choose public and private options. We focus on early childhood literacy. It's, there's this insidious idea that you can allow kids to learn to read by guessing the words, by three cueing, by going through a process where you look at the words and you kind of guess it rather than sounding out the words and learning what they mean. Um, the science of reading is pretty well established now, but many states ignore that. So there's a big fight and parents now engaged is a, are, are imp- incredibly important soldiers in this fight to assure that children have a fighting chance to gain the power of knowledge. And the bottom line is, we have trouble a lot of states getting teachers uh, at this point. That's a challenge. Number two is, in Arizona, you now can decide, I'm going to take the money advocated for me mm-hmm. for public school, and I could choose private. I personally would not have had the money growing up to go to a private school. My, my public school was bad. I'm going anyway. Uh, now, in Arizona, they can make the choice. Yep. I'm curious to see how this is going to come out. And is that, to me, where we should be at with every all 50 states? Money should follow the child. That's the, that should be the mantra. Why, why do we protect 
a system rather than empowering parents to make choices. Um, you have to assume that children, that moms and dads love their children with their heart and soul and they can make the right decision if they are informed. If, they are, if they're given the right information, they'll do what's right for their kids. And so the ESA, the Education Savings Account, can customize the learning experience, not just to attend another school, but also to get tutoring and, and other, other means. It's a, it's, it, Governor Ducey and the legislature in Arizona get huge credit for this, and it's now a model. Florida has you know, all sorts of options for parents, but the great thing of our system is that when one state does something like this, other states say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down and try to do it even better. And so... It creates a competition. Yeah. Makes the public schools better in theory. Total, not theory. I mean, Florida created the first statewide voucher program when I was governor, and we've had a, an expanse of options, both public and private, for parents. And the public schools here have gotten better because right. all schools get better when parents are involved. It's far into a Bush family, but there's a war in history in our schools. There's a, there seems to be a movement among teachers or among um, principals or superintendents to look at our past and see problems uh, and maybe do it in a way in which America lasts. Have you noticed that? I haven't noticed it around here. I've read about it. I've watched Fox and seen it on television a lot. And there are places clearly where uh, teachers are acting on their own ideology. Um, that's Does it grounded. Worry you? It was. Hell yeah, it worries me. The idea that somehow, that we're so you know, you can you can admit that we as a as a country that it hasn't been a perfect ride. There are parts of our past that we need to understand so that we don't replicate that. But you don't have to hate the country to admit that uh, some part of our history wasn't wasn't proper. Uh, and I think there's a growing belief that we're just systemically flawed to the core. And so if you're a young person that want us, wants to pursue their dreams and you're told over and over again that the system is just broken and you're never gonna be able to rise up, that's horrible. That is so un-American. And so my hope is that we have you know, meaningful civics education that addresses our past for sure, but loves our country, that, that instills in people a sense that um, our future is going to be brighter than the past because we're America, damn it. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of you know people tearing down our country. There was Jim Crow. There was slavery. Yeah. There was a civil war. Uh, there was segregation. You could tell that story and still tell the American story. And also, if you get a perspective on what was going on in the rest of the world, we didn't invent any of those things. Those things were happening. I think the story is how we fixed it, and we continue to try to make it better. Exactly. And that's... that's uh, you know, I kind of yearn for the day that Europeans would look, at, they used to look down their nose saying, you, you Yanks are way too, you know, optimist, naively optimistic. I, I, wanna, I, I think it's important that we restore some sense of optimism about our country. Get the swagger back. And part, yeah, and part of it is based on, a, on, a, on our past that, that has clearly our constitution, our history, you've written about this, is so unique. And we are a special country in many ways. And if we, if we don't believe that, we won't act on it. Is that part of your education mission? Sure. No, I think um, you know there's there's a real there's a effort underway across the country now to focus on um, civics education that restores some sense of common identity in our country. Uh, financial um, literacy as well is another place where high schools particularly need to, to act. And there's a growing uh, consensus that we have to do these things now. Right. And look. The tearing down our country part, that's, that's not just related to our K-12 education. That's, that's 
you know, many institutions now, or leaders of institutions, seem compelled to embrace this woke ideology. And you think that we could be getting through it when you see Jim Crow 2.0 wasn't the new law of the land in Georgia. The election was flawless and they had a huge turnout. Yeah. When you saw the blowback that Disney got from this governor when they decided to mislabel an education with parental rights bill, a don't say gay bill, and you saw the unboxing of a Columbus statue in Philadelphia because they say it was donated in 1876, we can take it down. Do you think that we might be on the other side of woke? I think we're getting there for sure. When Vanguard decides they're not going to be part of a climate council and vote their shares based on some ESG um, ideology that may, may hurt American jobs, for example, um, across the board, whether it's corporations, higher you know, universities, K-12 education, a lot of these institutions that had been captured by some degree of wokeness, um, I think people are now realizing, look, I think maybe it's better to stay in our lane and do our job rather than expand our mission out to all these weird things that most Americans don't, don't believe in. Uh, we are at the border of Fox and put drones. Yeah. And just by telling the story, we're basically alone in doing it. Governor, you know immigration is not a new issue in America, but we're with the, with the dissolving in December 12th of Title 42. They expect 18,000 illegals to come to our border. What is it going to be like? We were having trouble handling three. It's up to eight. What does 18 look like? It looks like an uncontrolled situation that, um, A, for the, for the refugees, the people that are crossing the border, it's really dangerous. Um, and we're creating this incentive for them to come because they can't make their claim of persecution in their home, host country, which is what we should do. And they, the policy that President Trump started, I think, is the proper one. And it created a uh, decline in the number of people crossing because they, they knew that if they came, they weren't necessarily going to get into the country. Look, great nations, all nations, have the right to control their border. And we should have a commitment to legal immigration, but we can't let people get in the front of the line. You know, there are people that will pay 10 grand for a loved one to come. I don't blame them for that, but the policy of the, our country shouldn't be that they, they get the higher priority. Are you astounded the President of the United States hasn't been to the border? And what do you get by going? What do you get by seeing? Well, you, you, he, he doesn't have to go to the border. All he has to do is watch, the, watch you guys on Fox and show it. It's, it's clear that, that people are crossing the border, and, and then they'll come. They'll be, uh, they'll be allowed to go to um, Miami and other places where their loved ones are. They'll get a notice to come for their, uh, their hearing about their claim of, of persecution uh, and Is their request for asylum. Yeah. And then two years from then, 90% of them will be getting a deportation notice and they won't come for that one. So this idea that you know, we're, we're, we've blown up our, the immigration court system, uh, there are backlogs galore making it harder for even people who have been waiting patiently legally to come, to come in. And, you know, President Biden should go to the border to show his support for law enforcement officers that are, that are, have a really difficult uh, time. And now you have fentanyl, which has replaced heroin as this devastating drug for communities all across the country, all of which, or most of which is coming through Mexico. This should be a higher priority. And for whatever reason, uh, Democrat leadership in Washington seems to think that this is a salient political issue to, to, to support open borders. I, I think working people 
whether they're Democrats or Republicans, want want uh, our borders controlled. But you have Senator Schumer on camera, Senator Harry Reid on camera, talking about the need to have a strong border and build a wall. He wanted 500 miles of wall. Joe Biden signed on for 500 miles of wall. What happened? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because normally, you know, good policy and good politics is the nice intersection you want to be in. And this is this is uh, bad policy and bad politics. It, this is not a place where uh, Democrats win politically. Um, looking on the 2024 landscape, there's a lot of talent on the right. And I think even people on the left would say that. If you look at Tim Scott, you look at Rick Scott, you look at uh, Ron DeSantis, the former president's going to be uh, in the mix of that. You think that Mike Pompeo is probably going to do it. Mike Pence is going to be in. It's hard to think on that stage and see people without merit and accomplishment. How would you rate it? No, I think there'll be a lot of people running. There's no, there's no uh, entrance requirement. You know, the barriers of entry are pretty low. Um, people can run, not, you know, with a, maybe an outside chance to, to win um, because there's, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, the key to me is, are people qualified to serve? Do they have a servant's heart? And there is a big group of really talented people that potentially will run for president, for sure. Uh, that are qualified and that could lead our country. Do you think that Ron DeSantis is head of that class? He's, he's, I mean, if you look at the polls, he's certainly way ahead of everybody else, including President Trump. Um, Governor, what about for you, if a Republican is to get into office and they were to say, uh, Jeb Bush, we need some help, would you, <laughs> would you go to Washington? Uh, let me check my eight ball. Eight ball says I look not so good. <laughs> no, I mean, look. I you mean you look great. You look young. You look. You run a marathon. <laughs> I can't do that, but I I do think it's important for new blood to get into into um, policy making in Washington. It looks pretty stale to me, and the fighting that goes on. Um, it's almost as though like solving it. Like the immigration issue shouldn't be a partisan issue. We have a problem. Let's solve it. Let's solve it in a comprehensive way. Let's control the border. That, 20 years ago, that would have been kind of the standard operating procedure. Now, um, people think, well, this is a wedge issue that I can win if I just keep hammering home how bad the other side is. And this great country is now being diminished because we're not solving our fiscal problems. We're not solving a lot of challenges. So, you know, bringing people with a fresh perspective that have a proven record of solving problems, um, I think is important. And I kind of think they ought to be younger too, for crying out loud. <laughs> we got a bunch of old folkies in DC the, these days, all of whom you know have served. I got no problems, this is not a personal issue, but why is it that in politics now, you have to be over 80 to be in a you know committee chair or something like that? Right, president's over 80. You, would you be surprised if President Biden won a, a ran again? I don't know. I, again, the. The issue there is, can I serve? And he has to make up his mind on that. Um, How has he done? He's done, and some things I think he's done okay, and other things it's been a disaster. Uh, the spending, kind of, this is one thing I do think Republicans need to get back in the game on, which is fiscal policy. I mean, we're giving drunken sailors a really bad name right now. The amount of money that is being appropriated on everything is a burden for my grandchildren that is hard to imagine how over we get. Over 30 trillion. It's horrible. Um, and you know, you can't compromise by saying, okay, you get what you want and I'll get what I want and it's just more spending. 
Um, these deficits are devastating. Earmarks are back, and an omnibus is queued up, uh, Bill, to get yeah, us to fund. That the no one reads. That's like this thick, and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna keep the government open. But the the amount of lard in that thing is going to be disgusting. But who's going to get elected if they say we got to rein in social programs, we got to rein in Medicaid, we got Social Security's insolvent, hey. uh, Medicare, Obamacare doesn't work. If who's going to get elected cutting back things that people are getting? The candidate that describes what the disaster is if we keep doing what we're doing now. You know, that that would be for me who the candidate that that describes that we're living way beyond our means, that we're destroying the chance of children and grandchildren to have a purposeful life. Uh, I would support that person. And it's gotten, it, it's been consistently bad because there's not a balanced budget requirement in D.C. as there are in every state. But it's gotten, you know, massively worse. And President Biden was proposing like triple what they, what he got was more than, which was more than any president, you know, in modern times has, has actually uh, received in terms of the budget. But it's all towards. Had his mostly... agenda gotten passed, it would have been, you know, lights out. But the, what about the transition? You're environmentally conscious. What about the transition to green energy? Are we on the right track? You know, there was a, I think today, um, this week, there is an announcement out of the, one of the great labs, energy labs in our country, that they have found uh, fusion. They found a way to create more energy than, than it takes for fusion. Um, to me, the answer is just American ingenuity, American innovation, basic research, the best and the brightest people, not outside of, you know, not, not mandates by Washington to protect one industry at the expense of the other, but find the transition based on innovation. That's America at its best. And so uh, I'm totally confident that there are solutions to these environmental challenges that we face without devastating our economy and pushing people away from high wage jobs. And so, um, but the approach by the, the, the so-called, whatever the thing, the inflation. Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> Come on, you gotta be kidding me. But that, this is like a Kafka novel, you know, like uh, that, that bill was, is picking winners and losers rather than saying, let's invest in our future by basic research and allow for American entrepreneurship and ingenuity to find these answers. Do you have you identified China as our number one threat economically and militarily? Yeah. There's no question they're they're still in their ascendancy, although they have huge problems that that we should you know, we should constantly find ways to to work with China. We can't have a perpetual enemy because of uh, the dangers that that brings to the American people. But their their challenges um, are are far worse than ours if you think about just demography right. alone. They have a growing elderly population, family formation rates at an all-time low. The one-child policy created 20% more men than women for how many, two generations or yeah. you know, close to a gener generation and a half. That's gonna play out in a really ugly way in their, in their country. So uh, the miracle of China may not be as, uh, may not look so pretty in the next decade or two, uh, but, but they are a threat and I think President Biden gets credit for um, curbing semiconductor sales. Didn't get much attention. The chips bill. Yeah. It was a, well, it was a, um, the bill itself is to yeah. promote domestic production, but he also, um, by, by decree, I think, um, I guess he has the power to do this, uh, 
stopped exports of, of uh, chip technology into China, which will, will slow down their progress in perhaps the most important industry that we have. Originally a Republican proposal, I thought, too. Now, lastly, and you're the expert, but I think after this last election and knowing that independents are the fastest growing group in this country, I think that most candidates realize that you cannot win with your party alone. And do you think that it's now going to become an asset to show where you can compromise? Or are they going to get to the primary process, get extreme again, and go down the same lanes? That's kind of work in progress, isn't it? Because um, it's hard to tell if uh, there is, I think there is a large number of people that don't play the hyper-partisan hyper game, don't like it, don't, don't follow it, don't care for it. Um, but they're not in the primaries. They're not voting in the primaries necessarily. So I think the key is for candidates to be talking about the future, to, to be hopeful and optimistic again, rather than just say how bad things are. I don't know about you, I, 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 I think we're, we're in a great country. And I, yeah, I'd rather I be, you know, Brian, I'd rather be 21 than 69 for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but, you know, the future is incredibly bright, but we have politicians moping around saying the end is near. Right. And I just don't see how that's a winning message for independence. Education's dear to you. Yeah. And when the president, uh, when, excuse me, when the governor was upset about some of the curriculum in schools, he put out a parental rights bill, which was uh, wrongly labeled the don't say gay bill, which the, the yeah. word gay is not even in this bill. Could you talk about the turbulence that you witnessed, the approach to the bill, and and the resolve. Well, it's pretty much it's a it's a good um, example of this new political environment where people don't even read the bill. Someone coins it as a "don't say gay" bill that stifles uh, speech, you know, of all ages. And when in fact, this the bill simply said that uh, up till fourth grade, parents are in charge of the you know sexual orientation and and all this you know all this discussion about sex. I mean, that's an eighty-five to ninety percent. Uh, issue, uh, and Governor DeSantis defended it effectively, and um, he should have. I mean, this this is look. The end of the day, this is a you know, there are places in the state of Florida where people were talking about inappropriate things to young kids. It's not common. It's not all over the place, but it's there. And I think it's appropriate for the legislature to to pass a law like that. The overreaction just made his views, I think, even more powerful. And how he responded to that, again, he's got this pretty good knack of figuring out who to, who to go after once they've uh, taken these crazy positions. And with Disney was one of the people that took those positions and condemned the bill yeah. from pressure they say from their employees. Can you talk about the battle as that unfolded? And what were you thinking? Because you know the importance of Disney Disney's to huge. Florida and to Orlando. Look, 80,000 employees, um, we don't have an income tax because people go to Disney. Our sales tax revenues are paid for by, 20% of the sales tax revenue more or less are paid for by visitors. So it's hugely important. So I think it's important to, to recognize how important Disney is to the state, but also take a stand against these woke employees that temporarily were kind of running the asylum there. Um, I would love for Disney to come to Florida. Uh, where, you know, you we're their headquarters. Yeah, why not? I mean, this is a live and let live state. We don't impose wokeness and we don't and we allow for freedom of speech and allowing people to have their own views. Look, I mean, if a liberal says something in Florida, they're not 
pushed out. They're not canceled. They're not any of that stuff. This is a place where um, where woke goes to die, as, as Governor DeSantis says. But it's also a place where people of real diversity can come and pursue their dreams. Disney would be fantastic if they moved their headquarters here. But instead, they lost their autonomous status within the next yeah. two years, and they lost their CEO. Back comes Bob Iger. So the so you have this governor taking on 60 Minutes, a uh, a politician slayer sometimes, and and excels. Then he takes on Disney, and he as of right now, how did that play out? Would you have done the same thing? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I would have punished Disney for the foolish uh, nature of of a few 20-something employees that um, for whatever reason the CEO felt, felt uh, you know, caved to, right. um, I'd give him a break. And now that this is over and people you know, can look at this freshly, hopefully uh, the legislature and you have a new CEO, Bob Iger understands the role of Florida plays in, in Disney. He understands how important Florida is. Uh, and he's, you know, he's very savvy. My guess is that they'll figure out a way to resolve this. So one of the things that uh, Ron DeSantis did is seeing the legal immigration issue, there were planes landing in Jacksonville unannounced with illegal immigrants, dropped off without telling the governors. He decided, and might do again, to take a, a plane load of immigrants on signed a piece of paper and they went to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, it didn't go over big to the people of Martha's Vineyard, but it certainly sent a message and had people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, is that one of the things that, as governor, you think was a good move? Uh, they used state money for it. I wouldn't have done it. I'm a conservative. I don't think we should be spending money on stuff like that. Um, here's the deal. What we, what we should be doing is fixing our immigration policy. We shouldn't be allowing millions of people to be coming across our border and then migrating on their own to Martha's Vineyard and other places, which is what they're doing. Uh, and they're, they're, they're basically pushing back people who have been patiently waiting to come legally to our country to the back of the line. That is just wrong. And you know, 90% of the American people believe that's wrong. But you see the governor of Texas also getting frustrated. He's overwhelmed. Yeah. The governor no, I know. They, they have every right to be, I mean, particularly Texas and Arizona, completely agree with that. So if the federal government but doesn't solve do it, it, what do you do? Solve it rather than use it as a political tool. But if you can't get the president to pick up the phone and even go and visit you or that's, entertain you. That's the problem. That's the, that's the problem with D.C. right now is 90% of the American people don't think we should have open borders. And yet, for how long has it been since uh, we can't find common ground to solve this problem? I guarantee you if Doug Ducey or Greg Abbott got in a room with, with the president and said, here's, here's a comprehensive way, a bipartisan way to solve this problem, and brought the, you know, the Democrat members of the, of the Congress from those delegations around the table, they would, they would solve this problem. But everybody uses it for a wedge, wedge issue. And, it's really frustrating. So you understood why he did it, yeah. but you wouldn't have done it? No. No, I mean, I, I, I was shocked that the state legislature funded $20 million of state money for it. Okay. It's like, wow. <laughs> but it did get people talking about it. It sure did. It sure did. And, and it propelled him even further up the, you know, into the, in the minds of a lot of voters very frustrated with this issue. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.